Welcome to You, Me, Empathy. Thank you for listening. We would like to remind you that this podcast is for informational and entertainment purposes only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Known as just a silly boy with a feely heart. Please consider supporting the show. Check us out on Patreon or simply leave a review on iTunes. Here is your host and creator of the show, Known Wells. Greetings, feely humans. Welcome to Yumi Empathy. My name is Known Wells. How are you? Thank you for being here. You guys are beautiful, feely humans. So grateful for you. I just got off the phone with my psychiatrist. And the reason for that is I was, I saw her maybe a month and a half ago. And uh, the reason I saw her is because I think my current depression medication, Vibrid, is starting to wane. I don't know if it's working the way it used to. And uh, as many of you know, that's a scary concept and uh, one that is, I don't want to deal with, but I need to. Um, And so I saw her and she recommended me taking all these sorts of vitamins and methylfolate And I started to do that, and it just, gosh, destroyed my stomach. And as some of you know, I have a really sensitive stomach, and I have SIBO. So I, uh, and I'm allergic allergic to wheat and soy, and there's fillers in a lot of these things. Uh, I even made sure that there was no soy or wheat in, in the vitamins, but still messed me up. And so I'm back to square one, just taking the Vibrid. And so I was talking to my psychiatrist about this, and she brought up a, another medication option called Trintellix, T-R-I-N-T-E-L-L-I-X, uh, as a alternative to the Vibrid. Um, uh, I'm wondering if maybe some of you have taken this um, or not. I don't know. I, I'm i going to do some research, see... Uh, see how the vibrant goes, but I feel like I need to make a change. And I'm feeling scared, and I'm feeling bummed about it, and I'm feeling uh, my depression has just been lower uh, than the norm. Um, And so uh, I want to change that. And uh, for anyone who's experienced this, uh, I know many of you have, the sort of whole medication anxiety, the the folly of figuring out our medication and what works and the sort of cocktail of things. And I know that me having anxiety and depression is, uh, is, is, is the most common experience. And I know many of you are dealing with many other uh, sort of struggles and have to take a sort of cornucopia of things. And I just, ah, I'm so sorry. Like, I just can't imagine. And I, my heart goes out to you. Um, it is something that needs to be talked about, though, because it's just, you know, someone outside of this uh, mental health space and who doesn't, who isn't medicated, like, I feel like it's hard to maybe get there and understand that, like, this is a truly a, like a, a marathon sort of endeavor where we are just out here trying to figure out, like, our brain chemistry like what's gonna work is that gonna work let's throw some spaghetti up against a wall and see if that sticks and if it doesn't i'll fuck shit let's uh let's start uh again at square one 
and uh, it's exhausting. And so I am giving myself and you, dear listener, a little bit of kindness right now and say, it's going to be okay. You'll get through this. Make sure you seek the right uh, doctors. You trust them, you know. Uh, again, I'm not a therapist. I'm just a silly boy who uh, is sitting here at a table, uh, and on the table is a blanket, and on that blanket is a bunch of dogs' faces. So that's the kind of uh, therapist, uh, aka non-therapist, I am. Uh, so I just wanted to throw that out there. That's where I'm at uh, emotionally right now. Um, I uh, I love you, and I appreciate you, and uh, we are feely humans, and we are changing the world one person at a time. That's right. Before we get to the episode, with my guest, Toph Evans, who is an impressive dude. He he runs ultra marathons. He runs races that have like hundreds of miles in them, which is just bonkers to me. He's He's a really nice and sweet guy. Didn't know much about him, but we had a really interesting chat, and I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the cut of his jib. Uh, before we get into uh, Toph's episode, I wanted to remind you to please subscribe and rate and review the show in iTunes and Google, uh, all the places, but especially Apple Podcasts and iTunes, uh, that place to uh, leave a review. I'd love to see new reviews pop up. If you enjoy the show, uh, please take a couple minutes to open your heart and let me know how it's impacting you and how it's maybe helped you in your mental health journey or how you've related to a specific guest story. I would love to hear that. It Those reviews make my day. So please go and leave a review for Yumi Empathy in iTunes. And please uh, follow the show on Instagram and Twitter at Yumi Empathy. We've got a Facebook group going. You can find those links on knownwells.com, yumiempathy.com. And uh, what else? What else? Uh, submit your empathy heroes. Uh, go to knownwells.com, submit your empathy hero, and I'll read it on the show. Um, what else? What else? What, can, what else can I say? I don't know what else can I say. I think uh, that's probably it. Thank you for uh, being lovely, feely humans. Enjoy this episode. This is episode 70, where I talk about why we need to love and accept ourselves before we're truly able to love and accept others, what we can do to be more connected to our feely humans in our lives, and the beauty of human resilience and the lessons we learn through adversity with my guest, Toph Evans. Enjoy. to You, Me, Empathy, a podcast about exploring the struggles we face in our day-to-day lives as humans trying to get by on this wondrous and overwhelming pale blue dot. The intent of You, Me, Empathy is to talk openly about judgment, 
Uh, sorry. <laughs> the intent of Yumi Empathy is to talk openly without judgment about our neuroses, our mental illnesses, our shared anxieties and worries, to create a dialogue that is vulnerable and deeply human and empathetic, and to share that dialogue with others to inspire emotional and cognitive collaboration and insight so we can, hand in hand, break down the stigma that make us feel shame and guilt for struggling, for feeling our feelings, for being human. Yumi Empathy is a safe, friendly space designed to inspire the beauty in each of us. Today, I'm excited to explore human resilience and adversity with limit-pushing, ultra-marathoner, newly published author and public speaker, Toph Evans. Hello, Toph. Hey, mate. Thanks for the intro. Oh, of course. Happy to have you, man. How are you? thank you. I'm good, brother. I'm much, much better that I'm chatting with you now. So, I am chatting. I am in... California now, and you are in Australia. Mm-hmm. I'm um, on the east coast, so I'm um, I'm like Brisbane, Gold Coast area. Okay, nice. Okay, I've, nice. I've never been to Australia. I, I've been in an airport in Australia for about an hour, uh, but that's it. So I feel I feel shame for that. <laughs> <That's okay. laughs> have you uh, Have you always lived in Australia? Oh, I've done a lot of travel. I've probably done like collectively probably a little over two years of my life has been in travel and that's through a lot of countries a lot of it's through the states actually nice and um a lot of like the uk and, and europe as well but mainly the states nice nice well we uh, we'll get into your story and and talk about adversity and resilience in a second we always kick off the show with a, an emotional check-in how how are you feeling today how's your week been Oh man, I love this. <laughs> uh, you know, as a guy that is is so big on resilience, and my brand is predominantly around resilience and connection. Um, I'm I'm just as I have to kind of remind myself that I am also human, right? No, I'm mm-hmm. not saying I'm superhuman. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, that it's it, it's funny, like when things can like when shit hits the fan, right? Yeah. And that's why I wrote like a, no, no, it's not a shameless plug, but that's why I wrote the book about this. And like the last four months I had, I'd done, it's, it's probably tested me in an entirely new way because of like insecurities that would rise mm-hmm. and just seeing how I would, and it's, it's fascinating how I've been able to deal with them um, after I've had the tools I've learned over the last, I don't know how many years now, but it's, it's, it's fascinating how it's made me a little bit more prepared, but in regards to the emotional check-in, um, there was definitely a bit of fear around finances and that, to be honest, there was a period where I had to jump off social media for a bit. And the reason for it is I'm, I'm all for, I'm all for posting great content to, you know, to build my brand up and to uh, impact someone. When they, when I, I wanted to change the narrative of how people looked at social media, like as a byproduct, sure. Because sometimes on Instagram it can be a little, um, let's just say, superficial. Um, not everyone is. So I would like there would be times where I'd post all the downs too during the times, and but it got pretty rough where I started mentally putting myself through masochism Mm. and I would 
compare myself, which is like, like 101, do not do that because you don't <laughs> need to do that. Oh, it leads to judgment. It leads to, um, you can't control other people and you don't know what other people's stories are. Like I, I have no idea. And I had like, I knew that was like a bit of a trigger as well. So I decided to jump off. Like I'm back on, but I, this was in the last four months and like a few relationship, um, issues there. And for me, it's trying to figure out the spiritual lesson as soon as possible. So I, I'm not, um, attached I'm so I'm not attached and I removed attachment and I'm able to, I guess, take that lesson from it to make sure it doesn't happen next time and to pass on to others. So there's definitely a bit of sense of peace after going through that. And mm. I, it's, it's always what I practice, what I preach with adversity. Like it's the people we look up to or the superheroes, whether they're fictitious people, um, like fictitious like characters, like in anyone in Marvel or DC, or actual people we look up to could be someone with really high social proof. Um, their journey is predicated around some sort of adversity and it's been the trajectory to their, to their growth. So when I look at it now, it's like, well, it's, it's meant it's happening for me, not to me. And it's just like these little subtle mindset shifts that you, you start to I've learned to embrace adversity on a different level because of the ultra marathons and the endurance events that I've done. Um, because you, at first I was doing them as like an escapism and then I was looking at them for me to give back to by doing them for charity and that, and for community reasons that it, um, I would always look for the the hardest event because it's something to test me. And by doing that, it made me embrace that suck. So when the adversity comes, any sort of adversity, it kind of prepared me in that way because I was always looking for a challenge. So it was, it was a subtle, like a slight mindset shift with that. So when the last four months have hit me, um, definitely hasn't been the best year for me, but there's, I can't look at it like that. I have to go, all right, there's been a lot of good and there's been a lot of things that tested me and it just made me, I think that's just another step closer to, to growth, right? Oh, man. I, I love that, Toph. I, I think that's really beautifully said. I love what you said about ha- it, ha- it not happening to you, it happening for you. I think that's a really important lesson, something that I try to do myself, but it's it's hard. It's hard sometimes. And I think uh, because we want to, sometimes we want to perceive the world as you know, as our own playground, as, as like a, an, a personal, a personal front to us if something bad happens or whatever, you know, shit happens as you, as you say. And I think it's easy to take things personally sometimes because we, we do as humans naturally want to just project ahead and we want to try to control ahead of time, control the future, you know, try to project, uh, how things will happen. But, you know, the, the truth is, we don't have control over that. And I think um, that's a great lesson in, in relinquishing that control a bit. Mm, it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's trying to live in the present, right. And not get, there's, there's an amazing book called time paradox and it talks about the past, present, future, but the, the fatalist and the hedonism between both. Mm. And, it was talking about if, if we just talk about uh, future focused living 
it, it's talking about how hedonism is like when you have vision and you're looking, you're like excited for uncertainty because it's like this what now kind of mentality as opposed to what if. And but the opposite is the fatalism with, which is anxiety really. Mm-hmm. And for me, it's kind of like all right, not trying to think too far ahead, even though uh, there's like this overall uh, overarching kind of mission statement, let's just say, but trying to just live right now because there's been too many days, um, and I think we can all relate to this, where you don't remember, the, you kind of can't remember what you did that day because you spent it too busy worrying. <laughs> and it's, it's definitely something I'm trying to be mindful of. Yeah. Even just a, a dear friend of mine who's like a, she's a psychologist and she's also like a fellow runner. Um, someone who's been studying this stuff for 15 years, like a clinical psychologist, I learned one thing from her. Like, she's like, now and then, every day, I will have to, like, a few times a day, I will just go back to the the fundamentals and the the five senses that we have, right? Like the touch, the smell, the hear, the see, and the the taste. And she's like, what am I doing during this? Like, she's like, I'm. It's almost like you have to do it really meticulously. And it's like, uh, what am I hearing right now? Hmm. And I can hear like trees blowing and I can hear cars going by and it's doing that through every sense. And even spending like a couple of minutes is kind of like a meditation in a way. Yeah. But it's at least yours. It's like the most engaging present focused living. It's kind of like the breathing techniques that what we're all, what you're, what we can put ourselves through as well. It's yeah. fascinating. Yeah. No, it's like a, when you have to reset your modem every once in a while. <laughs> Uh, Mm -hmm. we have to do that as humans for sure. I think like we get, we get caught up in the minutiae. We get caught up in, there's so much to get caught up in. And I think taking it simpler is, 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 can be a a good reset. I want to, I want to get back to something you said, and I think this is a good sort of foray into how you maybe started your journey yourself. You said something about how you had been struggling and you took some time off of social media and during that time, you found, um, you know, the the desire, and I think a a great desire to want to be vulnerable and share the ups and downs, right? I think that's a that's coming from a great place. But then the almost pull to like be mas- you use the word masochistic, be masochistic about it. And I get that. I totally empathize with that mentality. How did you? What kinds of things were you doing? In regards to... In regards to, you know, wanting to maybe be a little bit too masochistic and, and recognizing that in yourself. Like, what kinds of things were you recognizing as maybe a little bit too masochistic for yourself and not good self-care? Oh, it's definitely a um, validation thing, hey. Mm. It's, it was a self-worth. Um, that's what I'm saying. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm happy to talk about this and be real about it, even though like my brand is about built around resilience. Cause it just shows whoever's listening, how human I am. Um, because it, like resilience is entirely about coming, bouncing back. And it, there's, there's an amazing saying by Warren Buffett and he says, the chains of habit are too light to be felt until they're too heavy to be broken. And, I'm so driven off momentum that if I start to slow down, it starts to, um, it really starts to question me. And then the, the self-worth stuff, it's, I always have to come back down to like, but basic gratitude practice like that 
simple fundamental and it's preventing myself from any old triggers and actually like journaling what I'm going through as we speak because what I found, I don't know if anyone else can relate to this, but when I journal, um, I usually let the pen and the heart do the talking, right? Like I'm trying to not think about it too much and when I start journaling, other stuff comes comes out of it, meaning I've used that as an outlet to get everything out of me as opposed to it's being pent up. Sure. Because if, if I if I'm just thinking about it, it's the narrative is going to go completely obscure, but like using that as an outlet and even having friends, like it's very healthy to be like someone, I'm someone who's a heterosexual male and to have other males like right now, like I feel like we can become really awesome mates because we, we can connect on such a deep level, right? On there's no, no judgment no superficiality in that way exactly and that's that's always helped that's actually been the biggest help for me by having that inner circle of male friends and you know i I, at first when i was doing the stuff i need i could only talk to females at first um Mm -hmm. because they're naturally gonna vent so it's like okay then it like you put a bunch of women together at like breakfast and they're going to vent but you put a bunch of guys together like really like blokey masculine dudes it might just be about sport and or locker room talk who knows what it could be about but not I've, for me I've, yeah like i've learned to be that catalyst for other men as like use my vulnerability as a strength to let so they don't feel alone in a way that's great and the even for myself it's like it's okay to ask for help and it's okay to not be okay so riding through the emotions of what i'm going through as opposed to suppressing them because they're gonna it's gonna like allow me to implode if i don't ride through those emotions and so it's always good to what's helped me prevent the masochism is knowing that i am kind of worth everything well knowing that i am and having those group of guys around me that is like not just guys, but just having a great support system around me. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's essential, I think. And I think you are saying some important things that I've learned through my journey is that we need to be open and vulnerable because that, that is truly how we can shed our ego. That is truly how we can just shed all the bullshit and actually truly connect with one another there's so much, especially on the man, the male side. I've been recently writing and 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 talking about this a bit on the podcast. There's so much cultural sort of persuasion and 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 just crap that's piled up on what it means to be a man. And I think uh, the sooner we can disregard that and mm. and and speak openly with one another the sooner that we're going to really truly grow and and really truly develop you know what you're working on develop the resiliency and the um the truth in the face of adversity that we really need i I feel you man and it's funny you say that about what it takes to be a man i um i had a mate and i kind of had to to be honest i had to cut him out of my life because he was just it was a lot of derogatory comments and it was like internally a bully mm. and, mm. but 
I could never grow facial hair. Right? I can't grow facial hair to save my life. There's there's a few of us that can't. And it might be the Asian blood in me, but for me, it's kind of like he would say that you're not a man because you can't grow a beard. And it's like, that's definitely not what it means. And the like, I think that's uh, something I'd love to see is like removing all stereotypes in general, right? Like, I'm just trying to be tough. And it's like, you, and it doesn't even matter what other people think. It's just like what I think of me at the end of the day. Exactly. And that uh, how I came, like, I, I know that's true because I was one of the insecurities I was dealing with was um, identity issue because I would be pivoting so much that I'm going, what the hell are people going to know me as? Right. And um, funny enough, like Toph is derived from my full name. So my, my first name is actually Christopher and mm-hmm. Toph comes from Topher and Topher comes from Christopher. And it's just a nickname that's stuck since school. And in Australia, we're very lazy with syllables, so that's how Tove came about. <laughs> but and it, it's also for branding reasons because I'm the only Tove Evans in the world, as opposed to the million Christopher Evanses. Not to digress, but it—I used to be known as Chris the designer because I didn't—I'd done design and engineering for like seven years, so I was always known as Chris the designer. And as my my nickname became kind of how I was personal branded, it was known as Tove the Ultra Runner, and then Tove the resilience guy. But it, for me, it's like sometimes I don't just want to be known for running and it's like what if I want to take up like cycling or something, uh, hypothetically. And it, that was playing on my ego because it's like what do I want to be known as and legacy. And look, I definitely want to leave a great legacy, like as in I want to leave the world better as when I got here. Um, but it doesn't really matter. And it's like, to me, the only association I want to leave myself with is just knowing I'm a good person and with a good heart that's a heart pure and everything I do is out of good intention. And sometimes it can bite, like some people don't like that because it doesn't align with their value system. So I I learned to appreciate their opinions and respect their opinions. But by saying that, just saying that I'm just a good person and everything I do is tied in with the North Star of bridging that gap of disconnect. Um, it doesn't matter what I do. So it doesn't matter if I end up take up marketing role or it doesn't matter if I do a bunch of keynote speaking and it doesn't matter if I want to take up running because everything kind of it comes back to that overarching mission of bridging that gap of disconnect and what I do. So that was the other one. Um, that's the big one I've learned that it doesn't actually matter what people think because they're going through their own stuff, but it just matters what I think of myself. No, I, I think you're exactly right. And I, I it takes it takes time to get there. And I think in that, you know, you were talking about how, you know, with your your blokes, you know, you've you've been vulnerable and you've maybe um allowed them to see maybe a bit of that side of themselves. Like once I think that's the that's the making the world a better place that's the leaving it better than uh when we started is is the impact we can create on others and the connect that you're talking about uh and allowing people to see that who we are is who we are and that's that's valid and real and uh you know, we should respect that. We should accept that. We should meet people where they are. Um, and that's that's the journey. 
like that, that is the essence of the journey. That that's at least my sort of perspective on the world. Oh, I feel you, man. And it's, it's not just, um, acceptance. I think acceptance, um, is worked better when you focus on self-acceptance first. Um, because I've learned that how we treat others is how we treat ourselves. And it's like a mirrored projection in a way. And that's why I feel I like I couldn't get into relationships for a long time. And there's so, like so many people pressuring me going, Oh, why don't you have kids right now? And why don't, and I'm looking at that and it's like, I, I'm having trouble, n- not as much right now, but like I would have trouble loving myself because of all the stuff that would stemmed from my teenage days that how am I meant to love anyone else, right? Mm-hmm. And that's why I try and built myself and built such a strong foundation that I would be someone that I could share a life with. And I, it's, it's very heartbreaking to see how many mates I know that have been married at such a young age, at mid-20s, and they're already divorced. Yeah. And because it's, it's fucking hell. It's like that industrial br- blueprint of like how we're meant to live lives. Yep. So it's like, Age, you get married, and then bang, bang, bang. Checking boxes. Oh fuck! It, it. I'm the most like one. I, I personally am one of the one of the most unconventional people I know. So I know I can't live like a norm, status quo kind of life anywhere. And when when people are just saying you should do this, look, I I, I will listen to them, but it's up to me if I want to take that in. So I that that was the other one too, like. I have to really truly focus on building myself, I guess self concept, if you want to say, and like that's kind of the amalgamation of self self belief and self love and uh, self, I guess self guidance too, self care, all these things into one. So when I am able to share with someone else, it's look, I've I've kind of got my stuff, I've got my cup is full now, and I'm able to give. It's like this ever flowing cup. Hmm, that's so beautiful. When I, so when I can um, be with that person, then it's just like a free-flowing love. And what what I had been dealing with, we find more and more about ourselves every year, and it's usually find more in the losses, not to put a negative connotation in it. I think there's something beautiful with dealing a loss because you learn about more yourself in the losses than the wins. And I got that from Kobe Bryant. I'm a big NBA fan, so I um, I remember him saying that, and I was like, oh, okay. And I, it just kind of like brushed over my head. And it, it made sense, but it didn't really stuck until um, a, an endurance event I did this year. And it was it was an absolute gargantuan behemoth event. And I had to pull out with um, 40 miles to go. And I... Um, How many miles total? It was a 214-mile race. My goodness. Yeah, it was a race across Scotland. That's literally what it was called, like a legit registered race. Wow. Um, it was absolute hell and war for four days and just, it's a foot race. Like you're literally on your feet for the whole time. Um, running like this, the distance is, the, <laughs> this is going to sound so like absurd. The distance isn't what scared me, dude. It was, it's Scotland, like the constant transition and change, abrupt transition in weather, in terrain, in, um, in everything. And that, that time of the year too. So it was their summer, but it's still winter. Mm. It's freezing. It goes through like every season in a day. 
Um, you're going through like cash at paddocks. You're going, you're climbing up mountains. Every part of your body is in pain. You and um, when I finished that race, like it, I learned that like so much more than I could ever do in the winds. And I guess with um, one of the things I dealt with was like when something like I guess when negativity comes across in the mind, it can almost lead to worst case scenario, and then other things came about but I felt real like if I were to give a bit of a story like I finished I finished the event and then I was traveling through Ireland for like um Ireland and England for like another four weeks afterwards because I was doing a bunch of keynotes a bunch of um workshops at different um businesses and that and what had happened was I I didn't literally within three days I'm going back into like work mode. So I'm, I, I gave my body rest, but I didn't give myself enough mental downtime. And that, that led to burnout because that race really is using so much mental glycogen to, to surpass. That's why like sometimes after a marathon, um, you can see people in the, the like space cakes because they've used so much thinking energy. Oh yeah. I've been through and, that. Yeah. It's, it's, it's fascinating. Well, it led me to um it led me to realize that i wasn't um and this was only recent too like i wasn't able to love myself for like over a decade and i had only realized because i was people pleasing so hard um so i had to learn how to say no and like to put that into perspective like 13 to i think it was it was anywhere between 13 and 15 years i'm still trying to like there's still like implicit memories that will come in that i've been trying to hide by denial from like my teenage days, from some sort of abuse, that I, uh, um, if you're trying to unlearn something that's been over a decade, it's gonna take longer than like it's gonna take longer than like six months. Like you can you can rewire those neural pathways, but even for me, it's like doing stuff for myself. First of all, is still entirely hard. Yeah. Like. I'm on time for this, right? I'm on time for the Skype call because I'm accountable to you. But <laughs> integral to myself is secondary when it should be primary. Yeah. And that, that's been probably the biggest lesson I've learned this year to do things for myself. First of all, so I can take care of myself. Then I can, then I can focus on everything else because if I'm not in a good state, um, then I can't perform. And that's, that could be reason why some of the relationships I've ever been in haven't ended so well. That could be the reason why relationships haven't been a strength of mine. But yeah. it's funny enough because the last kind of person I was seeing, it wasn't superficial whatsoever. We were able to talk about like insecurities and everything. It was really real and raw. And I, she actually found that – I actually can notice she found that really attractive and like it, it was it was fascinating. So for me, that kind of redefined what masculinity is because women, after like doing a lot of research and surveys, it's a, women want to see that side of men as well. Not all the time because then it means they can't look after themselves. But um, I'm glad to have discovered this because if I didn't discover this now, I may not have discovered this for three years, three years more, hypothetically. During those periods, I would – the implosion would be so much more worse because I did go through like a few mental breakdowns, I admit, because 
I'm thinking this is ego, entirely ego thinking. I've got it all together. How am I able to get selected to run for this race to represent my country? And then something like as personal as this would shine up. But then I would see other people and see them so happy in a way. And I would resent that so much because I wasn't able to have that. So building myself back up during this period has probably been one of the biggest tests. And I'm definitely much more stronger than I was before then, but I'm glad to go through that, if that makes sense. I mean, mean, it makes perfect sense. I relate 100%. And I I think you're absolutely right. You know, you're you're dealing with a 10, 15-year journey or experience where you were the person who was putting people first. I was that person myself, Toph. And it... it, uh, it almost killed me, you know, and I think uh, I'm still learning to to do better at that, to, to understand that that I do need to care for myself if I'm really truly going to be caring and connecting with others. And, you know, so kudos to you to, for finding that truth, because I think it's a truth we all need to, to find. Yeah, and what I found is actually really invigorating is saying no to things. Oh, yeah. Great boundaries. <laughs> Oh, to create boundaries and to not wear myself thin and to not bite off more than I can chew um, and giving myself, like, the flexibility because it was kind of like it, – it was it's just my personality at first where I'm going. And I'm not trying to change my personality and it's just subtle tweaks so I don't bite myself in the ass again. Yeah. And I can still be that flamboyant and – I guess I think like I am definitely overly sensitive, but I look at that like a strength because it's almost, it is a strength because you can sense emotion from others when other people might not. It's kind of like, I think it's like an empath gift in a way because when you, it's a double-edged sword because I I noticed it in this conversation when I'm saying, Oh, it, it probably were kind of, it's not like a full direct and it's because I don't want to offend that person because of, I knew, I know what it's like to be hurt. So it's like, I don't want to hurt that person because you, you wouldn't want to wish that on your life, on anyone's life. So for me, it's like being direct because you're not, it's, it, it's, it's, it's totally perception and I'm not here to, um, it's not coming from, it's like, it's coming from a place of love, if anything. So the, I just lost my train of thought there, but it. No, uh, it's all right. I I think, I think what I'm hearing from you and what I'm going to say back to you is I'm here to listen and to give you space to listen, uh, give you space to speak rather. And we all need to do that for each other. You know, Mm -hmm. I, I think that is the thing that will, lead us forward. I think you, you even mentioned, you use the word overly sensitive. I would edit that and saying you're sensitive and, and that is a power. There's no overly, there's no underly. I think we as a culture want to say that that person is dramatic or that person needs to not be so sensitive that that person needs. And I, I think that's wrong. I don't think that's, that's coming from a censorious place. That's coming from a place of like, you know, the masculinity that we were referring to earlier, I think. Um, so, you know, 
take pride in your sensitivity. I think it's a great thing. I do want to get to what, because uh, I know you're, you know, you're short on time. I do want to get to what really kind of maybe an inciting incident, an experience, what really led to your path toward like really pursuing and, and learning about adversity and resilience? Yeah, that, that's a great question, dude. Um, I had, um, I, I went through like a massive pitfall back in 2014. Um, and it was, it was essentially like a conglomerate of many things that happened to me at once. And it was, there was relationship issues. There was business issues. There was, um, there was even financial issues. There was a few things that just kind of hit me at once. And it was mainly the relationship stuff because there is an emotion attached to it, like dealing with another human being and multiple human beings. So I, I I went down this crazy spiral and that really impeded on my mental health. And I was kind of going off the rails. And as a kid who liked to party back then, I would like any sort of substance abuse, whether it's drugs or alcohol and even um, self-infliction as well uh, can create like a psychological burden and I wasn't looking after myself mentally and physically or like holistically right so I once I was able to kind of be vulnerable and speak to people uh, mainly females and like very very close friends it's kind it started to declutter the mind and then I was able to then I, I was sick and tired of feeling sick and tired. So I looked into it why I wasn't happy. And there was a, this, there's no black and white entirely about this, but I, I found that I hadn't been looking after my health. So I made that a priority. And I, for some reason, health equaled sport. And I decided to take up running because I, I didn't want to join a team sport or anything because I thought, well, I, I, I was always a kid that got picked last at school. Um, because my hand-eye coordination isn't that great. So I thought, you know, I can't screw up running, right? It doesn't really cost much. Just got to get the shoes. Um, and it's just by myself. And that's what taught me how to push through adversity. And it's not like a Forrest Gump kind of thing. It, it was an escapism in a way um, because at least I'm putting my energy towards something positive, um, as in looking after my health. And from there, I got really curious by going, okay, I'm, I'm sick of just running for the sake of running. I want to put it towards something. And then it just became a marathon. And at least I was now I'm, got, I'm putting it towards training. I can reverse engineer the goal. And from there, after doing that first marathon, I was kind of hooked because I'm like, okay, this is the fittest and healthiest I've ever been in a, in a long time. And it was kind of like, all right, how do I – constantly grow better as a person with this and trying to, and then I signed up for more events. And then my friend and I, we were an endurance duo for a couple of years. Um, and we would, we wanted to, at first we were just running events for ourselves and then we felt like we wanted to give back and we were, and we, we had given back to a lot of, um, for cancer research. We'd lost, uh, I know too many people that are affected by cancer. I think we all have like some sort of time, someone that we know that has cancer yeah. or a family yeah. that has cancer. And it, that for me was learning how to, it was exciting to find new events. So at first it was like 13 events we'll do for the year. We planned it like we'll do 13 
endurance events in the year. Like we just want to do at least one half marathon, one full, something over a full, so maybe like a 50K or a 31 mile, um, like a triathlon, maybe like a, an obstacle course race and um, fill the rest with maybe like half and full marathons. And then like 13 turned into 20, it turned into, and then it turned into 40 and trying to raise like um, a bunch of money for cancer research. And from there, like that started to rewire a few of the neural pathways because it it just became the normal where there's an event on that we were doing an event every weekend and the the mindset would be like oh that's this event's on you should give it a try okay and because it's like I'm come on test me because I know I can do that and now let's go for something bigger go for something bigger and signing up for the event is one thing and paying for it and whatever but actually doing the event is the next thing and this is where you start uh, you're really tested um like really dabbling into so a marathon is 42 kilometers and they were dabbling into 100 kilometers so it's about two and a half marathons at once and the like there's the they say that the the marathon you really the marathon usually starts um 30 k's in because it's usually like the last 30 percent and it's first like testing myself going, okay, there's a 70K, there was a 70K mental block. There's not every time, but I was experiencing that and it was so much more worse. And then once I finished that, I was like, oh my God, I can't believe I finished that. And it's like high risk, high reward. The bigger the adverse, like the races, I will always remember the ones where I had to dig the deepest. Uh, there, there's a there's a video of me, I can send it to you, of me breaking down 280 kilometers into the race um, during Scotland, so 174 miles in, and I'm holding on for dear life in that point. But before then, like the during that entire race, I am going up and down, up and down, and in those down in those times where I'm questioning every bit of sanity, why the hell did I sign up for this? Um, part of me was going, oh, I can do this. I've done this before. So when I deal with like actual real life adversity, it's kind of emulating that and taking what I've learned from that and going, all right, let's now let's apply that in real life. If I can run some stupid distance, then I can deal with this issue and this issue and this issue, this issue. And it was about breaking it down. That was probably how I figured it out. It was going, all right, if we're going to do this many, just, just focus on the first checkpoint and break it down. So it's not as overwhelming and, it's it's more bite-sized chunks. Look, it feels like it's going to take forever because you've got a million rounds to get there, but that's how I dealt with running at first. It was going, all right, now let's focus on the lamppost. Let's focus on the light post and let's focus on the stop sign and all that. So I was able to break it down into what was achievable when it felt like the biggest gargantuan thing. Over the period, it I was looking forward to you know what, we should just sign up for 200K because I'm excited to see how deep I have to dig. And that's so profound to say. And part of me, when I go through adversity, wants, has that mentality too because I've kind of built that into my, into my brain the last like three, four years that when adversity comes, as much as I hate it, I know it's going to make me better. I mean, it, it's amazing, you know, I mean, I could never run those distances. I've, I've learned that, I don't know if my physical body can do it, but this is not about me. 
Um, I, I'm wondering how you get from a place of, you know, I'm not physically, mentally healthy, I need to take up running, to a point where you're learning about mindset and you are thinking about resilience and you're thinking about adversity and especially in terms of just your overall mental health and and how do how does how do all those things fit in for you like what are you learning about yourself now in these in these experiences yeah that's a great question one thing i found is a lot of marathoners are running from their demons in a way ironically and a lot of people are running because of mental health reasons. But a lot of people are doing it because they're part of a community. And that was being the, that's probably in the top reasons why I took up running. Um, because I learned that, you know, I'm going to come across like-minded others. And there's nothing more, like, humans are wired for connection. And it's like, it, it comes from like a neurobiological standpoint. And... The best kind of connection is when you can relate to when you can connect and relate to someone on a on a rock bottom level, on an adversity level. So not only the 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 I'd say friendship and human connection was the big one that I had learnt. It wasn't like running crazy gargantuan distances. It was a connection I'd felt with like minded others. Um, and it's not just runners; it's it's from all walks of life as well. Um, where you're able to take what, like that adversity, it became fuel for, to run these races. I would play this little calculation on my head. I'm like, okay, this, this is a hundred K race. It's going to take me anywhere between 11, depending 11 to 14 hours, depending on um, if I bomb out or whatever. I'm like, that's 14 hours. I've got to, I've got to push through. But I remember there was a period where I went through, uh, it had to be probably close to a year of crazy depression and anxiety, and there was a lot of um. It, it was it was it was even very suicidal as well. And I go, if I can go through nine months of that shit, maybe it was probably close to like eleven actually. Then fourteen hours is nothing, and that's what helps me a lot. And doing a lot of research in third world countries and that and i found that the poorest people and actually meeting them too are the poorest people the most grateful because they focus on the fundamentals and it's like food well or food water shelter and human connection and that's why i had been missing because i would isolate myself on purpose and then i'm like i feel lonely Hmm. and the moment i was able to you know let's i would meet these people and Maybe it was hanging around the wrong people. Who knows? But I, I'd be around people who weren't there to judge and to build a connection. And it was like integration, right? Like I'm not just having friendships. I'm also looking after my health. And it it, it would lead into other opportunities and, and whatnot. So it became like a holistic kind of solution in a way. And just meeting other people, it made me not feel alone. And yeah. that, that's probably been the biggest one. Yeah, that's a powerful recognition. I think feeling, I mean, that's what this podcast is all about. It's making people feel less alone in whatever they're experiencing or doing. Is there, do you think there's a limit to what you're doing, you know, in terms of the ultra marathoning? Is there a limit to seeking that adversity? 
Yeah, that's that's a great question. I think there is a method to the madness. I was, it was like I was kind of chasing that that ta- that invisible tail where I'm going. All right, next event, event's got to be bigger. Yeah, next event is yeah. going to be bigger. But it doesn't have to be. Like I actually took a break for like a few months um, from events and that. There's actually a, an event on today I was going to do, but I, I I didn't want to do it because I didn't want to put that pressure on myself. I actually thought. Just do stuff for me as opposed to stuff that I have felt obligated to do. Um, and I don't think it does. Like I'm constantly re- – and that, that it comes back down to the identity association, what I mentioned before, in I don't just want to be known as runner. And it's – there are other avenues that I can do what I'm doing because it's, for me it's about – connecting with others that might that have gone through something and they might feel alone in a way so that we're creating a, an entirely new connection and that that's the friendships I've made this year have been more of substance than any other year and that's probably been the biggest pro I, I can see it as much as matter as much of all the insecurities I've dealt with in any of the years this has probably been one of the most testing but the friendships I've come across this year um have been of much higher quality, if that makes sense. Oh, yeah. And with the ultra running, it's like it doesn't just have to be through running. It Like I can go – I can spread my message and do it through different avenues. Like I, there's always the part of me that goes, yes, I want to do this because it's on the bucket list, right? Like there's so many events. There are so many races out there and so many events and all that. But – I'm always constantly trying to reinvent myself and be adaptable in a way. And that's what, that's why like I went into a lot of writing and that's why like I'm, I'm more about doing these creative projects. Like the running doesn't actually even matter. It was just a vehicle to, to go towards that, that North star you could say. So everything I do is to go to that. And when I break it down, like I've mentioned, it's, it's not actually about the endurance kind of stuff. Part of it is, but it's it's actually the human connection that I actually probably value the most out of it all. So it's like, what can I do today to be more connected to humans? Yeah, yeah. You know, I was I was reading about resiliency before this this chat, and I think one of the that's that's certainly one of the aspects of building resiliency is connecting with others, making us feel less alone. And I think another aspect of, of what you're talking about is creating opportunities for self-discovery, uh, whether it's through running, whether it's through writing, speaking, you know, all those things. I think that's a important part of uh, the resiliency that, that we have as humans. Oh, amen, brother. <laughs> well, um, let's, uh, let's wrap up here. What uh, I, I could talk with you forever. I think we should do this again sometime, but... Um, oh, I'm totally- I, uh, let's, we always, I'll, we'll plug your stuff in a moment, but we always wrap up the show talking about an empathy hero. So this is someone in our lives, uh, either an author we've never met, we've read, uh, someone personally, we know a friend, uh, even someone from fiction, uh, someone who is just a good empathetic person. I'll mention, uh, my empathy hero first, give you a moment to, to think on yours. Uh, my empathy hero this week is Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. She is the, um, the I mean, very young uh, 
congressional candidate. Uh, I think how how old was she? Anyway, she was elected to Congress, youngest woman elected to Congress. And I just kind of love her. I think she's delightful and she speaks up and raises her voice for uh, the small people and the people that are um, people of color and minorities. And I think uh, she's great. And I was going to read one of her quotes here. Um, She said, this is quote is on the subject of raising her voice. They'll tell you you're too loud that you need to wait your turn and ask the right people for, for permission do it anyway. And I love that. I think that's just maybe speaking to what we're talking about here, Toph, and that we need to speak up for ourselves. We need to um, accept ourselves and accept uh, ourselves for who we are. And so, uh, I just love that. So, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is my empathy hero this week. How about you? Do you have an empathy hero, Toph? Uh, yeah, man. Um, from this week, who am I thinking... Definitely a few people. Um, it's probably there's two guys I can think of. If I have to narrow it down to one, um, it's my mate RJ. Um, he's such a good dude. Like he's gone through his own hell, and at the age of like 37, um, as well as like a brother, he's become like a bit of a mentor in a way, and vice versa. Like we help each other with certain stuff, and just certain times he would just check up on me and I think that's so powerful and needed because in in the state of if anyone's listening like I think they can understand this like when you're such a people pleaser you can't it's it's so hard to receive help and asking for help is one thing but trying to receive it is is something else and that's something I've had to learn to do because the cup was when I mentioned the cup analogy before um, what happened in, in Ireland was I'd given away so much that I gave the cup away. That's it, what it felt like. Um, and I was, I, I'd lost a lot of hope for myself at that point because I'm like, I've, t- I've done everything. And I totally forgot about myself. There, there was a few things I'd done. And um, RJ and my other mate, Zach, um, we're just there for each other. Um, and it, it's just, it's so beautiful to have people around that they actually they actually care about you. And if I were to mention a bunch of people, it would actually be um, mum and dad. They're just um, very supportive people. Oh, excellent. That's, excellent. that's great. Yeah, we need those people in our lives. Well, uh, Toph, where, where can people uh, learn about you, you know, read about your, you know, your wild adventures, all that stuff? Yeah, man. Um, I'm just thinking, I think the best, source would probably be my website because if any if instead of like oh here's my any of my social media handles my website um has all that so my website is tof t-o-f-e dash evans e-v-a-n-s.com and it has everything in there about um everything from where you can reach out to me and to meet more people and um if, I, if i'm going to do a bit of a plug there's my um Two mates and I, it's actually RJ and Zach, we've built, um, we've started a movement actually. And if anyone's listening that is lacking a bit of mentorship because they can't afford it or they want to be a part of a community because that's what we're entirely about, um, we've started something called Next Gen Movement and it's creating the leaders of tomorrow. And everything that we've learnt from us three and 
everyone that's a part of it. It's it's essentially we built a platform as a shared experience that's entirely feedback driven. So we we put out and we do everything as to what like our audience wants in a way. And that's how we determine like what piece of content and everything that we do. But it's it's a place for the younger gen like the leaders the like tomorrow's leaders, whether it's the millennials or it's Gen X or Gen, uh, Gen Z or Gen Alpha, if you want to put it into generations like that, um, they're, they're a part of something that you're going to learn from shared experience from other people. And it's it's something that doesn't cost anything. So it's something we've built and it's called the next, it's called next gen movement. So um, we've, we've built that through, it's mainly on LinkedIn right now. But okay. Um, okay. if anyone wants to connect with me on LinkedIn and Every piece of content is usually predicated around that, and it's just if anyone feels alone, then and you want to learn how to, if you want to be able to grow, then this I feel like this would be something for you, because we we've all been in that kind of um, that state for so long that we decided why are we doing things on our own when we can put our heads together, and not just our heads, we're just the ones that created it, but we. We've allowed it as um, to people to be their own voice that, that when they feel voiceless. Awesome. That sounds amazing. Well, cool. Um, well, thank you, Toe, for, for being on Yumi Empathy. It was, uh, it was fun. Oh, man, I appreciate you, brother. And to you listeners, I'm here, you're here, we're here together on this wayward, overwhelming, awe-inspiring pale blue dot. We have each other. It's Yumi Empathy. Oh